Don't tell me words don't matter. Because our words have creative power. On Open to Interpretation, host Amy Young is joined by PLU faculty and educators from different academic disciplines to consider a single word commonly used in the news, on social media, and on college campuses. It ain't the word! It's the context in which the word is said. Through debate and dialogue, Open to Interpretation reminds us that rarely, if ever, can a word's meaning be reduced to a single understanding. At last, we're going to have a dialogue about the power of words. And now, here's Dr. Amy Young. Hello, and welcome to Open to Interpretation. I am joined today by Professor David Ward, Associate Professor and Chair of Marriage and Family Therapy, and Caitlin Sill, Associate Professor of Politics and Government. Welcome. Great to be here. I'm so glad that you are um, this beautiful August day. Not that anyone can see that because we're <laughs> on the radio, but it is. And so I'm glad that we could gather and talk about this. <laughs> to that end, we have some summer themed warm up questions awesome. because okay. we like to start a little loose on this before we get into the hard stuff. What is the most disappointing movie or TV show you watched this summer, Caitlin? I haven't been disappointed by any TV show. That surprises me about it you. It does, but that's because I have very horrible taste. So one of the ones, and Amy, you will appreciate this, that I've really been enjoying is the original Pokemon series. Okay, which... my kids are now obsessed with it because there's 52 episodes on Netflix. Yes, yes, there is. And so that is one where I was surprisingly pleased with how much I enjoyed it. And I will look up. Are you of the age where you were into that the first time around? I am not, but my husband was. <laughs> ah, okay. So he actually knows not only all of the Pokemon, wow. all of the episodes. So he will give me forewarning if it's a sad Pokemon episode. Oh. They're sad. So I was pleasantly surprised with that. I I really just like all well I don't like all things I just avoid the things I don't like I'm in Mad Men for the second third fourth time and that's as good yeah it's good to have things that you Netflix is good for the binging Mm -hmm. David what about you Uh, well I've been thinking a lot about the Olympics there have been oh yeah um, some heartbreaks right as we've been watching some great um, some great successes as well but there've also been some heartaches probably the the one that comes to mind right now is Ryan Lochte. Kind yeah. of, you know, blow that race, what happened in that race, you know, supposed to be so close and Phelps just pulled it out. So yeah. I guess that was that was disappointing to watch. I was hoping for a little closer race. Right. Yeah. But well, it's been yeah, fun Lochte watching. Was just completely lost it in the last part of that. that yeah. Was, um, so according to the Canadian announcer, he won a race that he did not medal. Oh, is that right? Oh, dear. You guys, oh yeah. The, the commentary has been, I've been following the commentary. I feel like the than, coverage has been abysmal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Sexist. Racist, Super sexist. And they, Super racist, yes. And they called the wrong winner. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's really a problem. <laughs> a little bit of one. Yeah. Okay, um, on a more positive note, best book you've read this summer? Best book? Um, oh, I read the Alexander Hamilton biography. Yes, and then how was that? It was excellent. Yeah. I want to see the... Um, show which I will never be able to get tickets to unless I sell parts of my body like my feet and I'm not willing to do that (laughs) and I kidney my (laughs) nobody wants my kidney but they want my big toes Uh. market or um and then I also read Harry Potter and the Cursed Child oh Oh. I haven't read that yet it's very good it's very sad in terms of like you get into and you're just like "Mm, I'm a little 
a little depressed. So I've, I've, as I was telling you before the show, I've been teaching all summer. So I don't think I've read a book this summer. A pamphlet. A pamphlet. I've read uh, Instagram. I do stalk my children's Instagram account uh, and make sure they're being appropriate there and Facebook. So I do quite a bit of stalking of uh, social media reading counts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it will be especially useful for this conversation. Yeah, done done a lot of reading of that, but I don't think I've read a book, uh, unfortunately, this summer. So when was the last time you read a book? That wasn't academic. Are you I couldn't him? tell you. I'm shaming him. Yes, yes. <laughs> I did read a book about hope after Shane Lopez had come to campus this uh-huh. last uh, semester about hope. I can't remember what the title was, but that was probably the last book I actually read. It's It's been a while. I don't, you know, the interesting thing for me, I don't, reading has never been like my go-to pleasure type mm-hmm. of thing. So I don't, I don't go to books in my free time. I go to exercise sports, right. you know, go play water polo uh, with the local high school. That's what I do for fun. You can do that with a book. Yeah, it, de- <laughs> it just doesn't bring the same sort of excitement. It so. also makes it awkward to be in the pool with a book. Put <laughs> in a plastic bag, it'll work. Yeah. <laughs> Waterproof your Kindle. <laughs> the idea of this podcast really is that what we try to do is take a word uh, and the idea is that words are not static or fixed that they tend to be open to interpretation shameless plug and that they have different kinds of meanings and are dynamic and especially uh, connotation wise across uh, media or public discourse or on campus or however we want to talk about that so you can feel free to talk about any space in which you feel like the word civility, which is what we're going to talk about today, is is really important. I'll start with David. How would you define civility? So I've been thinking a lot about it because in my, so I teach marriage and family therapy, but I also, uh, in order to not just stand up in front of students and and talk about what I did 20 years ago. I continue to work with couples and families and individuals with mental health issues and mm-hmm. relationship challenges. And so I, I thought a lot about this idea of civility and I'm not sure I've ever said the word, let's be civil in therapy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I would imagine that I'm trying to promote some level of civility in relationships. And so I was thinking about it as this idea of it's rules usually unwritten around how we engage with others. Yeah. And that those rules, um, part, part of how we know they're unwritten is because it depends on the context you find yourself in. Sure. And so I can work with a bunch of different couples, families. And if I were to say what's civil in your, in your household, uh, it would be very different uh, based on, you know, where they're from, where they live, their race, their gender, all those sorts of things. So, And I would imagine some of them they don't know maybe until they are violated. That's and right. So... Yeah, I love um, my that idea of unwritten rules. My my grandpa started a, a furniture store, mm-hmm. and uh, back in the '30s, I remember as a kid we would go into it, and my dad and his uncles worked there. And I took a popsicle. And I was eating a popsicle on one of the new couches or something, and my uncle came in and just got after me. He said, "You you can never have a popsicle on a new couch," and it was an unwritten rule. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and in fact, my dad probably wouldn't have had that same rule. He would have been fine with it. But for my uncle, it was an unwritten rule that said, you don't eat popsicles on the couch. How dare you? And How so you don't you know have, until yeah. you've right. crossed that. And that happens in our families mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. I think, I mean, a 
because I haven't put very much thought into it, but I think I'm going to build on David's in that it's really interesting, the unwritten part, and I'm going to, you know, quote Justice Holmes when we're talking about his definition of obscenity, which is I know it when I see it. Yeah. yeah. And there is some aspect of civility where it seems like I know it when I see it. You can, I know when people are being civil and I know when people aren't being civil, but how do I tell you what was or was not civil about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so what really came to my head when I think of the word civility is mutual respect. Mm-hmm. is interactions that really have this sense of mutual respect and um, and really conveying that in the interaction. But you're right, it does it. There is no set way of saying here are the rules of being civil, of civil engagement, although arguably. Um, yeah. And yeah. so it does. It leads to this aspect, which is I know it when I see it, but is that a moving target? Right. Um, and I'm... I'm thinking as I sort of look at the second question that I'm going to ask you, which is about um, comments sections, you know, and, and now sort of the the uh, one of yes. the trigger warnings is don't read the comments, right? Read the article, <laughs> but just don't go to the comment section because yeah. um, in, in some cases uh, comments are can be anonymous or pseudonymous mm-hmm. yeah. and even sometimes in sections where people are identified, fully identified, because they have to have, for instance, a Facebook account that is theirs, mm-hmm. it can't be a dummy account or something, in order to, like the News Tribune, for instance, has moved into that kind of a comment mm-hmm. section. Yeah. Because it was trying to tamp down on inflammatory mm-hmm. speech. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when we think about, people say a lot now, now I don't mean to do that sort of, I've heard people, a lot of people say, that's sort of a Donald Trumpism, that um, civility is notably absent in yeah. those kinds of spaces, that um, comment sections or even other spaces of public discourse that we just are uncivil. And and I'm thinking about that relationship between civility and anonymity mm-hmm. or identification. And I wonder what either of you would have to say about that. I think it, it leads to a really interesting, that I think that that's a really good question and really fascinating because it is true that once people are no longer held accountable for either, for what they say, either because they're anonymous or because they don't have to look at the impact of their um, of their comments on other people. Right, because they they have no idea who this person is or where this person is or... And they have yeah. no idea who the person is. They can't, they don't need to ever personify them. There's this, they are much more likely to say things that they would not say in person had they known the person. And then it leads to an escalation because the other person's able to say this. One of the things that's interesting, and I know I'm sure we'll get here eventually, is to what extent, though, is this really, would people say this? Or I'm trying to think of the best way to do is say this. Um, when people say this, are they actually being more free to speak their minds? Mm-hmm. And I say this because part of where 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 we're coming to with like the Trump candidacy and the contentious primaries, as mm-hmm. people are saying, well, I like it because he says things other people won't. Yeah. He right. isn't constrained by the rules, and he's saying what I think, but I won't say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one question that I think about when I think about these things is. People say things that they would not otherwise say, but that they're thinking. And so is that maybe a, disgu- a benefit in disguise or something of the the sort of inflammatory uh, discourse we might see? Which might be labeled lack of civility, mm-hmm. but was, which also, I think, related this idea. Um, 
an email came across a while ago in one of the professional organizations. There was a call for civility and someone uh, wrote and said, civility equals social control. And this idea, yeah. right, that, mm-hmm. that we demand a certain level of civility, which also keeps people who haven't had voice from having a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and which relates kind of to the, you know, because yes. do you want people who are inflammatory to have a voice? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet at the same time, there are other people who, who need that voice and haven't been able to have a voice in society because um, their way of speaking is deemed by those in power as uncivil. Mm-hmm. Right. I had, a, I had a grad school professor who um, we were talking about racism and homophobia and other kinds of um, marginalizing and dangerous, arguably, discourses. And he was talking about the fact that he's always actually been grateful that people like David Duke, who's running for Congress again. <laughs> he is uh, again? I he haven't is. heard that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's been inspired to run again. Um, and <laughs> he... Uh, and and my faculty member would say that he was always grateful that people like David Duke had a public platform mm. because mm. you'd rather know than not know. Mm-hmm. And and also because every single time someone has to open their mouth in public and be judged for those statements, they might mm. actually start to think about yeah. what they are saying in mm-hmm. public as it. Uh, doesn't land as well as maybe yeah. they thought it would in their own mind, or maybe it yeah. didn't seem like quite as good I- good an idea um, mm-hmm. out in the world as it did when it's kind of rattling around in your head. Yeah. And I think that's been partly what's so shocking about uh, Trump's candidacy is how how many people have said he's saying things that I would like to say but can't. And I think that's been shocking for at least. Mm-hmm. A certain portion of the population uh, to be to be like wow, there there continues to be people who have um, regardless of your political affiliation, mm-hmm. but who really think things that at least I thought maybe we, you know, maybe there was yeah. a few people, but apparently there's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. No, who, it's a more it's a more mass than you would have than you would have imagined. Thought. Yes, and I wonder yeah. sometimes though if it's civility could be about the content in this mm-hmm. case, but it could also be about the style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of what people are responding to is the fact that career politicians yeah. tend to ha- adopt a very different kind of aesthetic or tone or campaign uh, mm-hmm. message strategy. They yeah. tend to, for instance, stay on a message <laughs> or, you know, they they have kind a of a consistent different, stream of thought. They have a yeah. consistent stream of thought. And they know they're going to have to go back and explain themselves mm-hmm. in certain ways. Yeah. And so sh- shooting off at the mouth tends not to be the hallmark of career politicians. And so I wonder if part of his appeal is just that it's like a middle finger to sort of the political class. Caitlin, I wonder well, if you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this kind of leads to a broader question about civility, which is at what point do we start to question people's motives 
if mm-hmm. people are overly civil. And I yeah. think that that's exactly what you're hitting at, which is people don't trust politicians. Mm-hmm. And especially American politics is very, very much shrouded in civility, right? The gentleman from, my distinguished colleague from. Yeah. Right. Um, Even if com- you're basically like, I hate, I hate you, you so <laughs> much. I mean, we haven't had a good caning on the floor the of the gentleman Congress. Gentleman from Kentucky. Well, yeah. It's been a century since our last caning on the floor. Um, <laughs> we should bring that back. We should bring it back. But, yeah. uh, but there is this discourse you you see where people are saying well other politicians are doing this or saying it but they're hiding it and so when people are being civil they're being called overly politic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and there is then this comes to this point where people realize that people are following these unwritten rules or expectations that there's this sense or belief that they're withholding something yeah well and i think a lot of people have wondered that about the you know, for instance, like Paul Ryan, who has endorsed Trump, but doesn't actually seem to agree with him on almost anything, <laughs> anything. He's yeah. being civil. Right. But, yes. yeah. but but his civility reads kind of what you're talking about. He's mm-hmm. overly. It's a veneer. Yeah. He's overly careful. Mm-hmm. He's too precious sort of yeah. with his approach. And maybe and I, I wonder if that sort of uncivilness mm-hmm. is why it's kind of appealing to be loud and and just shoot from the hip and tweet really random things and you know that may or may not be on message mm-hmm. yeah well and it leads to the and i think that this is really has to be put in comparison to well in in light of right what people's number one concern about hillary clinton is which is trustworthiness yes yeah and she is collected she is a very very well healed politician and in a society, she's had lots of practice. She's yeah. had lots of practice. <laughs> yeah. And in a, and if we are, and if people are at the points where it's like, whether they say, if that's how you are, then you're hiding something, then they look for what's being hidden. Right. Whereas if you have a candidate like Trump, where people say he has no filter, he's going to put everything, mm-hmm. then arguably the next conclusion is, therefore, I can trust what he says because mm-hmm. he's not polished. And we do see a lot of this, which is people saying, I trust him because he just says it. He's Mm. real. He's real. He's not hiding things. Yeah. He's not filtering. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I wonder what then that that does to our ability to reach agreement or compromise, though, Mm -hmm. because... If part of civility is ethos or trustworthiness or something, right, we we have a sense that you need to be decorous to a certain degree, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe everybody's threshold is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And then what seems civil to one person may not, as David Mm -hmm. said, be civil to someone else, even within the same household. Absolutely. Right? Um, But certainly not from household to household. Then you think from region to region or neighborhood to neighborhood or, uh-huh. you know, country to country, whatever, those those things can be really, really different. And I've been, you know, in organizations where civility is used as sort of a policing or mm-hmm. a, you know, boundary drawing right. exercise to say, let's try not to speak out of turn. Let's try, you know, but I wonder what you think about civility and agreement making mm-hmm. or turn taking or compromising. Yeah. 
So one of the ways I, I think about it, there's been research on um, conflict within family organizations like family businesses. And, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it actually a study on a family, but I think in my work, it definitely applies. And it's, it's this idea that at low levels of conflict, people don't have as high a productivity. And I like to say at low levels of con- conflict, your relationships also don't strive because it usually right. means there's too much civility. Mm-hmm. Right. And and yeah. in relationships, if if people don't have the ability to give feedback and receive feedback mm-hmm. because of these unwritten rules that right. say you can say this and you can't say that, then the relationship doesn't thrive mm-hmm. because no relationship is inherently perfect where people don't need to have some give and take. Mm-hmm. And then on the other extreme is if if civility or conflict gets so out of control right? Then those relationships, those organizations also don't do well because there's too much conflict. It's toxic. Mm -hmm. It's toxic, right? right? And so then we're looking at that middle ground, which is is probably a lot broader than, meaning it's it's a wide, because of the different ways people do civility or do relationships. Mm -hmm. But that's what we're looking for is that middle ground where people have the ability to engage Mm -hmm. in dialogue and engage in disagreement, um, but do it in a way that that still respects the human being. And, and that takes mm-hmm. me back to your other question about this anonymity. I think what gets lost, right, is the human being mm-hmm. that you lose that Absolutely behind nice. those words is a person mm-hmm. who, if you knew them and sat with them, you even would if never say that yeah. to yeah. their face. You would never, right? Even if you totally disagreed with them, because in general, I think in general as humans, we're, we're good, mm-hmm. you know, and that we're trying, we're trying to do good. And yes, there's some bad people out there. But if I'm going to sit with another person, I'm probably going to say it in a way that may totally uh, still communicate. I disagree completely mm-hmm. with you, but doesn't dehumanize them. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, Much harder if they're sitting right in yeah, front absolutely. of you. I think listening to David, one of the things that comes to my mind is because the initial question is, what is civility? But I think another question that would be important to ask is, what is the purpose of civility? Yeah. What are we attempting to accomplish? Because when I'm thinking about what do you think of this is I'm I'm thinking thinking about the U.S. Congress versus the British Parliament Mm. and their actions on the floor. Yeah. And people love watching Parliament. Oh, they're so wonderful. Yes. (laughs) Because. And civil. No, no, no un- oh, not civil. Totally uncivil. uncivil. No, and this is the thing oh, where that's true, yes. you, British people, the stereotype tends to be very civil, very, yeah. um, very kind of reserved. But the yeah. parliament, they yeah. will boo. Yeah. They actively boo. They take questions from the floor during the prime minister's questions. The only thing you're not allowed to do is personally insult somebody that is not based in fact. <laughs> So there was this this. But if fasc- it's a factual insult, it's, <laughs> then it's fine. Okay. Yes, there was yeah. this fascinating exchange that I love, where an opposition government member call accused the um, I think it was accused the party in power or one of the members of power for being a drunkard, mm. and the the they they asked to remove him from the floor, and he said, "But no, he's drunk." <laughs> It's not a question. He's currently drunk. I'm not going to apologize because Uh. he's drunk. But the rule is if you personally insult somebody, you have to apologize or you leave. Right. You get kicked out. Whereas in American politics, none of that comes out. Right. Right. Public. Everyone is very polite. And the argument says the, uh, the argument is that the fights are in caucus. When each one goes to their sides, oh, I see. they have their own rooms that are secret, private, they'll say whatever they think, then they come out and it is the distinguished gentleman. But the question becomes, what are we attempting to accomplish? What do the members of Congress, why are they, what are they attempting to accomplish with this extreme 
civility versus yeah. the British government, which stands mm. up and boos and turns their back on people. Yeah. To the points where you can't even hear what the prime minister is saying, which is why it's so much fun to watch. Um, <laughs> and they'll call names and that. What are what are they accomplishing with the lack of civility? And at what point does it escalate? Right. And so I think that that becomes mm. the interesting thing is if you have what are you accomplishing with civility? And at what point does it become counterproductive? Yeah. And is there a threshold up to which? It's too much civility and beyond which it's, you know, not enough or something along those lines. Um, And and how would you know or negotiate that? I imagine in family or relational dynamics, that's just a constant moving. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's easy to see the extremes. Yeah. Right. It's easy to see the relationship or the organization where there's so much civility that nothing gets accomplished or that little gets accomplished or that what gets accomplished is what one party wants yeah right because that party has more power sure and so Mm -hmm. you see that in relationships you see that in organizations and on the other extreme you know uh unfortunately in our society people being killed Mm -hmm. right right there's a clear example of okay we're we're missing civility here Mm -hmm. yes um but then you back down from those and it's and you start to have huge arguments about, well, is that civil? Is that not civil? And that's where it becomes pretty contextually based, I mm-hmm. think. And it's hard to say, well, th- that is or that is not. Mm-hmm. Is there a group size, for instance, beyond which civility mm-hmm. becomes really difficult? Mm-hmm. I have read a lot of Malcolm Gladwell's books, and you know, a lot of what he does is consolidate other people's research on topics. And, and one of the one of his findings in, I think it was the tipping point, was that Mm. groups larger than 150 Mm -hmm. members start to socially degrade uh, the sort of standards, practices, norms, behaviors, uh, cohesion starts Mm -hmm. to loosen or degrade beyond 150 people. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, you know, you talk about like family business or those kinds of things. Is it easier to do that when you're just dealing sort of with a smaller group of people than it is when you're dealing with mass. I mean, I think about this in terms of the question I asked about comment mm-hmm. sections on mass mediated yeah. sites, right? That's a yeah. lot of people. Yeah. It's an aggregate of sometimes crazy. I would say we go back to David and then a couple of things that have come up, which is I think it depends on at what point can you establish that level of respect? Yeah. Where you right. So I think part of the problem, as you said, with anonymity is the dehumanization. But you can dehumanize somebody on an individual mm. basis. Sure you on can. One on one in which in, in a two group setting, right. there's no respect. There's no attempt. at it, And it can be extremely um, uncivil, uncivil. You see this in peaceful protests, mm-hmm. yeah. counter protests where you have people who are diametrically opposed, huge groups. But there is this level of civility. I think that before it went south i'm thinking of um of texas where the police yeah. and the black lives matter lives yeah. matter protesters in dallas, in dallas yeah. were very civil and very mutually respectful right and in fact they're accomplishing maybe not the same goal but accomplishing it peacefully mm-hmm. yeah. and allowing one another to be there and do their yeah or in other places the same type of connection mm-hmm. has resulted terribly mm-hmm. yeah where it was, it's been less on group size and more on, I don't know, the yeah, nature but, of the relationship. Yeah, when you said 150, I mean, I go to church with 350, and 
I'd like to say, in general, I mean, we have disagreements, but in right. general, I think, you know, we create, we try to create a community in a sense of cohesiveness and, mm-hmm. and civility. And so that, that number struck me as small. And then, as you said, I mean, I work with, in relationships where it's two people <laughs> and it's terrible, you mm-hmm. know, and some of the family violence that, that right. happens in the world happens in a very relation, small groups. A very mm-hmm. small groups. So I do think there is, it makes some sense that it it can get harder mm-hmm. as you expand the number of people that you're trying to create a set of rules and norms, mm-hmm. but it but it isn't inherently the size that would uh, make one group more have the ability to be civil or not. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean that the situation that you bring up, Caitlin, in Dallas, um, that people had because of course these. Uh, Black Lives Matter protests have been going on for a long time Mm -hmm. and all over the United States and um, in mostly very civil Mm -hmm. ways. Right. Um, And and that disruption was and and violence was obviously deeply, deeply uncivil. Mm -hmm. But it makes me wonder how if these if those communities in, in that case, the police and protesters and activists just had sort of a mutual understanding about this or if because there's a history of these protests is there kind of an organizational or logistical framework that they say this is how this is going Mm -hmm. to go down and so long as we both sort of are behaving in ways that Mm -hmm. we've agreed upon on this Mm -hmm. like you know fact sheet then we should be good Mm -hmm. I mean at it, re- it makes me wonder if you need to sort of codify things sometimes mm-hmm. or what's yeah, what's required right. in order to and is enforced civility hmm. beneficial and helpful. Right. Or is it better if it's serendipitous? One of the things that made me think of is children, which I have none, but <laughs> I have two. I have four. (laughs) And I had a four-year-old. I had a couple four-year-olds come and visit me, but one of their moms was telling me that kids will just say to this, like, to her child, go away. We don't want you Hmm. playing with us. Mm -hmm. And my thought, and what I said is, I said, that's horrible. And she said, that's how kids are. They haven't learned the rules. Right. (laughs) And so that's the question is, is it something that could be enforced by her coming in saying, don't you can't speak like you this. need to be inclusive. You yeah. need, need to be to. inclusive. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or is that something where that has to be trained over time? So is it a part of the community to have this positive relationship? Or is it something where that there was and I just don't know a directive that says down and said you will not behave in this manner? Well, it's interesting that you, I mean, that's, that's, you know, kids are always an interesting example. My, my kids just <laughs> say a lot of, there's, you know, they lack now the filter, y- years right? and years of uh, Facebook evidence of my children's <laughs> wit and wisdom. Uh, but that it is sort of one of those things where you, you do want sometimes to step in and say something like, you know, we need to include people. We, mm-hmm. we aren't, we need to be nice to people. We don't, you know, ex- we don't say mean things like that. We don't single people out. We don't, you know, that kind of thing. But then I also want my kids to learn that there will be times in their life when they are not included and they yeah. are excluded and they are singled out. And then what do you do about that, too? So, mm-hmm. so you know, that sort yeah. of lesson of civility is maybe even bigger 
I, you know, I don't know wh- where, how much intervention yeah. to have, for instance, in that kind of a situation. Well, I, I, I don't have an answer, but I, I do think it's interesting that kids are tend to be examples of lacking filters, uh-huh. right? And, and then it begs the question, are we teaching them the right level of civility, mm-hmm. right? Or are we teaching them that... Or the right filters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or are we teaching them to not have a voice? Yeah. And, and that's a scary thought, mm-hmm. that what I've trained my kids to do in trying to help them be civil or inclusive is also to tell them that your thoughts aren't important, mm-hmm. I, you know, and that's... Do you think that happens in the classroom? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking I'm teaching uh-huh. a special topics on the election this fall and um, media and the election. And I'm and I wonder I was asked, do you think this class is going to get contentious? Hmm. I worry about the opposite, actually, mm-hmm. um, because yeah. there's there's kind of a level of assumed politeness mm-hmm. yeah. in the classroom. And maybe it's here, but I don't think so, because I've been at a number of other institutions mm-hmm. and I feel like there's there's sort of a I don't know self-policing that happens yeah. in the classroom yeah. where there are just things you don't say mm-hmm. and while I agree there are things you don't say right. in the classroom yeah. uh, I also want for people to feel like they can push themselves mm-hmm. that it's okay to be uncomfortable for instance and mm-hmm. then in fact discomfort probably indicates that some learning Mm -hmm. is taking place as opposed to the opposite, which is Mm -hmm. just that this class sucks, you know, which, (laughs) you know, I don't know. We'll see about my course in December. Uh, (laughs) My first two year, my first maybe two or two semesters, maybe three semesters teaching, I would I taught the death penalty Uh and every single time it was always unanimous. The entire class felt the same way, never consistently across class. And one of the things that I really had to ask myself is, okay, this is not possible. Yeah. Not everybody agrees. But what's happening to where people feel as if agreement is the appropriate response? Because I sometimes think that we mistake agreement and politeness as civility. Yeah. And so I think that's a part of civility as acquiescence or agreement on the other Mm -hmm. hand, right? Like just because I didn't stand up and pick a fight with you doesn't mean I don't want you to know that I disagree or something along those lines, but I'm not going to stand up and pick a fight with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I say to couples in therapy, my, your goal here is not to agree. It's to understand, Mm -hmm. right? If the goal is agreement, then we're going to be here forever and maybe I'll get rich. But, um, (laughs) But the goal is, with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the goal is understanding and mm-hmm. acceptance that that you think differently. Mm-hmm. The other thing that that your conversation about classroom uh, brought to mind was at least my own experience as a uh, as a student was that I filtered based on what I thought the professor thought. Yeah, and, I think that happens too. Right. Yeah. And so in a class like that where you're talking about politics that people are going to pick up either correctly or incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think Dr. Young probably thinks this. And so then I start filtering because you have that power at the end of the semester to give them a grade. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I've tried uh, over the years to tr- do it in different ways. Uh, um, I first started to try to be just neutral. Like I wouldn't <laughs> tell students anything, you know, to try to promote. Which is impossible. It's impossible. <laughs> so that didn't yeah. work. And <laughs> over times I've transitioned to try and be honest. This is where I stand. And I need you to know that my desire for dialogue 
is a larger value than anything that I believe mm-hmm. myself. Right. And, and that's helped somewhat. But still, you know, students are filtering, mm-hmm. right? They're, Absolutely. They're, they don't have, uh, whether it's civility or safety or whatever it might be, they don't feel like they can say mm-hmm. certain things. And, and I think that's always something we're trying to help in the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. Is to, how do we engage students to be able to talk in civil, meaning respectful ways, mm-hmm. but not in ways that say we all have to agree yeah. Right. It doesn't have to be ad hominem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to in order to disagree or be provocative or mm-hmm. you know, so I've I've sort of started asking what I think are semi provocative questions yeah. just mm-hmm. to sort of poke at people yeah. and see if maybe, <laughs> maybe someone will come up. Uh-huh. Somebody will bite. Somebody will go, maybe. You know, and, and sometimes <laughs> you get a brave soul who will and, and say, look, you can just play devil's advocate. I'm not saying you have to believe mm-hmm. what you're saying, but what would what might somebody else say about yeah. this? Not you, somebody hypothetical, somebody else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it presents an interesting question about how we're teaching and, I, you know, starting with kids and then through our students and in our lives of how are we teaching civility? What are we saying that civility looks like? And at what point are we saying that, that to be civil, you can't speak? Mm hmm. Yeah. Yep. And that's, and what da- are, that's dangerous, right? Yeah. yeah. Dangerous. And what are the, I, I think about that too, is connected to issues of class and race and mm-hmm. gender yeah. and sexual orientation, other kinds of things where how out can you be about mm-hmm. yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. In, in, in whatever way that means, mm-hmm. right? I think that's, and I don't want to, I don't want to um, say that that only happens one direction or, or something along mm-hmm. those lines, because I, I do think, you know, for instance, I've had students who are really politically conservative in my classes say mm-hmm. that they've felt very marginalized right. on this campus. And yeah. I that's hard. That's really hard. It's a hard thing to hear. I don't want people to feel that way. Right. I mean, but, you yeah. know, they're that's going to happen. Yeah. You are going to be singled out or. But it also leads to a question of, and I don't mean in this situation, but at some point when somebody is feeling marginalized, mm-hmm. is it just could be because they are in the fringe margins? Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it may be a realization that that's mm-hmm. actually where your ideas are mm-hmm. or. In which case the discourse is civil. Mm-hmm. But civility doesn't necessarily mean being feeling like you are right yeah yeah and the and and i i i guess sometimes the the discourse i think does move to the lack of civility where people in these marginalized places do get Mm re-marginalized right whether that's whatever political spectrum you're on right that this sense of it gets reinforced no i can't say that Mm -hmm. i can't um, be this way. And, and again, that's regardless of where we stand as, as people, Mm -hmm. how do we create spaces for a community Mm -hmm. where multiple perspectives can exist? Mm -hmm. And, and to me, that's where I hope we're going with civility is that we're trying to create communities where differences are appreciated Mm -hmm. and, and that we understand we will disagree yeah. We yep. will disagree, and there's a, a manner in which we can disagree mm-hmm. that still maintains the humanity mm-hmm. uh, of all of us. And um, I hope I hope that's where the conversation about civility goes, is, is that it brings us back to this place of understanding mm-hmm. what connects us as opposed to yeah. what separates us. Yeah. 
And I, but I think that also comes back to the question of then what are we, what are we accomplishing by being civil? Because you're absolutely right that I, at least I think you're right about coming together as a community. One of the things that I try and tell, and I tell my students in class is your job is not to convince anybody. Yeah. Your job is to listen and to evaluate and to decide for yourself. But you're not responsible for convincing that person. That person's not responsible for convincing you. They're responsible for stating what they believe and listening to what you have to state, mm-hmm. what you have to do. That, I think, I think that sometimes incivility comes about when there's this desire to force somebody else to believe in what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because then the purpose Because if of, they don't, then they're being uncivil, yes. even though you're being, quote unquote, <laughs> super uh-huh. civil, right? I mean, yeah. because, you know, yeah. you're you're right and mm-hmm. they're wrong. And yeah. yes. Yeah. And I'm and, you know, you can and if you are saying I'm right and they're wrong. And as long as they know this, I'm being the I'm being the civil person because yeah. I'm just pointing this out. Absolutely. It's going to lead to incivility. Mm. Absolutely. I guess to end, I'd like to thank uh, both David and Caitlin for being here. Thank we'll you. see you next time. All right. Thanks. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And that's all I have to say about that. I learned something today. We're all officially kicked out of school. See you around. Yeah, see you.